An Eye for an Eye podcast contains materials that may not be suited for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. How do I feel about Vince Lee slash Will Baker's quest for an absolute discharge with no conditions? I'm very concerned for the safety of the public because there is no legal requirement for this extremely mentally ill individual to treat his illness. Schizophrenia is lifelong and incurable. The psychiatric community states that they cannot predict the future behavior of any individual. The same community claims the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. I believe it's time for all people to take care of each other. I don't believe for one second that Will Baker poses no threat. He will be a risk to public safety for the rest of his life. What if he chooses to stop his medication again? In a nutshell, I don't believe that should be his choice to make anymore. A secure facility where he can continue to receive treatment for the rest of his natural life is where he belongs. Has everyone forgotten what he did to Timothy? How this murder has affected me personally, physically, mentally, financially, and emotionally has been devastating beyond description. I don't want another person to ever go through what I have been through these past nine years. Shall we all just wait till it happens again? Shame on us all if we do. I will continue to, uh, to state my case and say, no, I don't think so. Never, never completely free, never. If I, if I had my way, he'd remain in a facility. If he's going to be in the community, he at least needs to be under conditions, at least. A federal provincial political feud has erupted over new freedoms granted to the Manitoba man responsible for a gruesome murder on a Greyhound bus. Vince Lee, who is schizophrenic, will now be allowed unescorted passes from a mental health center. It's a decision Manitoba's senior federal cabinet minister wants the province to appeal. But Manitoba says it's not up to them. And as Shirley Engel reports, it leaves the victim's family caught in the middle of an emotional issue. Time has done little to dull Carol Dedelli's pain over the loss of her son, Tim McLean. I'm still horrified and, and disappointed and uh, disheartened by it all, but it is what I've been telling people for five and a half years was going to be happening. Vince Lee, the mentally ill man who beheaded and cannibalized her son aboard a Greyhound bus in Manitoba, will be allowed to leave his mental hospital without an escort. Fundamentally, I don't think he should have that right. I don't think that I should have to worry about it. I don't think that I should have to be looking over my shoulder or wondering. Conservative Minister Shelley Glover, who represents Winnipeg, calls it an insult to the family and other law-abiding Manitobans. So I am imploring uh, that the minister in Manitoba, Minister Andrew Swan, appeal this decision. An emotionally charged issue led to a politically charged spat. For two years now, we've sent, the Attorney General sent letters to the federal minister asking that public safety be the paramount concern when dealing with, with these kind of matters, and they've ignored it. It still hasn't passed in the law. Federal legislation to toughen laws for those found not criminally responsible is currently before the Senate. Meanwhile, a psychiatrist said Lee has stopped experiencing delusions and is a model nonviolent patient. A not criminally responsible patient is in fact a patient, not a criminal. Chris Somerville of the Schizophrenia Society speaks with Lee regularly. He thinks about it daily too, because he committed that crime. He did this horrible, brutal killing, and he has great remorse over it. The community has mixed feelings about Lee being out in public by himself for the first time. I think it's ridiculous, actually. Um, he's nuts. If he's rehabilitated, then you know I trust the doctors to make that call. They know that they're putting a 
town potentially at risk with somebody like that. These unescorted visits begin in the town of Selkirk next Thursday, starting in 30 minutes and will increase to full days. Shirley Engel, Global News, Ottawa. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm your host, Lisa, and I'm here with Matt. Hello, everyone. Yeah, and this is episode, what, seven? Episode seven. Lucky number seven, or unlucky number seven if you play craps like I do. We don't even say that word at the table. I suck at craps. We have, oh, fuck, we can't go to the casino. Not this casino. Let's go to a different casino. We'll go to another one. <laughs> okay. Um, so we wanted to start off this show before we get into the case. Some sad and horrific and crazy news broke, what was that? Two days ago. Two days. Was that Sunday? Sunday. Oh, Jesus. That makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. It's just all horrible. Anyways, some horrible news broke on Sunday. There was a shooting in Texas in a church. In Sutherland Springs. In Sutherland Springs. And it took the lives of 27 innocent people. I mean, this keeps happening. And we just want to offer right now our condolences to the people of that community, their families, their friends, uh, to everybody affected by any of these shootings in Las Vegas, in Sutherland Springs, anything that's gone on. You, we sympathize with you. We stand with you. Absolutely. We are here for you. And we're so, so sorry that this happened and keeps happening. And, you know, hopefully soon we'll see some kind of productive change. So this this is something that we don't have to ever talk about again or, you know, is commonplace in we the news anymore. We can shed some light. That's, that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. So we send our deepest sympathies and condolences to every single person affected by all of the insanity going on in Texas and in Las Vegas still, still people are passing away from that horrific event. And so we just want to say we're with you. We stand with you. Like Matt said, we live in a crazy world, but know that there's more good than there's bad and, and we're here for you. So, so yeah, so let's get into it. Let's get into T's case. Kind of a weird segue, because <laughs> this case is batshit insane. Another one. We like, to, <laughs> we like to focus on all kinds of cases, both those that are heavily reported in the media um, and those that are lesser known, those that are just all around mind-boggling and those that are make sense to us. We want to cover them all. Right. And this is one of those cases, again, that inspired me to do this podcast at all. It's one of those cases where the outcome is baffling, and you'll hear why. And it, it really begs the question, does the punishment fit the crime? Once again, we're challenged by this. <laughs> really challenged? It's a horrible thing. Okay, so... <laughs> it's a horrible thing. <laughs> it's, it's all fucked up. So just be warned, like we always give a little warning. I mean, I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you should already know that we're going to get graphic. It's... It's a true crime podcast. It's going to be sad. It's going to be horrific. We want to be as respectful as possible, but we also feel like the details are necessary because we want you to be able to evaluate for yourself. Did what this person do justify their sentencing? And that's what the whole podcast is about. And I promise you guys, there are going to be some cases where we're like, hell yeah, the punishment fit the crime. <laughs> promise. Yeah, every so often we'll find a few. I yeah, I promise. The justice we're... system is fair usually, we think. Yeah, but. And, and there are still parts of it, even though I think, like we'll get into later, that Matt and I have similar feelings, there are parts of this that we do differ on, and that's important too, and that's why we want your opinion. So 
as always, you can always reach out to us before, after, you know, during. Give us a call. We'll make these live. We love it. <laughs> One day we should do like a Facebook live recording. How funny would that be? I would love that. That I would think be. Get into yeah. So okay. So let's get into it. This is disturbing. Prepare yourself. On July thirtieth, two thousand and eight. It was about twelve oh one p.m., which is pretty specific, but. Tim McLean was 22 years old, and he was a carnival barker, which if you didn't know, which we didn't know until a couple seconds ago. I just learned this. Yeah, that means you're someone who tries to, like, promote people into, how do you say that? Someone that's a promoter for the carnival. Yeah, yeah, you're trying to get people to come hang out with you. Um, He was on a Greyhound bus returning home to Manitoba after working at one of the fairs that he was the promoter for in Alberta. Now, I have no idea geographically what Canada looks like or how it works, even though we were just there. So I'm not sure what kind of ride that was, but... He departed Edmonton leaving for Winnipeg. Yeah. And he was headed through Saskatchewan to get there. That's where my brother's fiance is from. Really? Yeah. And so he was positioned at the back of the Greyhound bus, which was one row ahead of the toilets, because on Greyhound buses, if you've never had a long shuttle bus, they do most often have you know, lavatories on there. So he was one row ahead of the toy. That's where he was seated. Now at 6.55, the bus went to a stop because like I said, if you've ever gone on a Greyhound bus, a mega bus, any bus, they normally have multiple stops along the way, whether it's rest stops or to pick up more people and drop more people off. And it's, when they pick up new people, it's always dropping people off, picking up new yeah, people. Yeah, it's just constantly off. changing. And it sometimes like, I know when I go to New York on the mega bus, they stop in uh, State College, Philadelphia. Sometimes to go there, yeah. So it can often be a confusing time. Interesting new characters you see. So. Yeah, and you might get someone sitting next to you that's new. You might sit next to the same person, depending if you're traveling alone or with a friend. So that's what happened here. The bus stopped in Erickson, Manitoba, for a bathroom and smoke break, and to pick up passengers, like we said, that were departing from Erickson. Now, one of those passengers that was picked up in Erickson but getting on the bus was a passenger named Vincent Wiang Lee. So we're just going to call him Vince Lee. Lee was described as a tall man in his 40s, and he had a shaved head, and he was wearing sunglasses at the time he was picked up. Everyone that saw him on the smoke break said he was just a normal, quiet dude. He was just getting on the bus, boarding. When everyone boarded back onto the bus, Vince Lee originally was seated at the front of the bus, yes. which is important to note that, that that's where he was originally sitting. He ended up moving next to Tim McLean following an additional rest stop. So they stopped once more. Once they came up, <laughs> once they got off and came back on the bus, Vince Lee did move back to sit next to Tim. Now this is, I don't understand what We're happened not sure here. why he picked him. Witnesses said that Tim barely acknowledged Lee and fell asleep. He was wearing over-the-ear headphones Correct. and he was listening to music and he fell asleep. It was, I guess, you know, a long ride and he was just... Hanging out, like most people do, kind of minding your own business, sitting to yourself, doing your own thing. So, according to witnesses, he was sleeping, and all of a sudden, they heard a really loud scream shrill at the back of the bus. People sitting near Tim said that the man sitting next to him, who we now know, obviously, as Vincent Lee, suddenly produced a large machete-looking knife and began stabbing McLean in the neck and chest. Now, originally, passengers did think that this was just a scuffle. They didn't think it was like a – they thought it was just like an average fight, like a, like a two guys just getting in an argument or maybe throwing some fists. No one thought it was a serious – it was except for the people sitting right near them. 
obviously the bus driver even pulled yeah, the yeah. bus over to kind of yeah, because there was it turned into you know a, a mess. So a melee, right? Yeah, so that's what they heard, and so passengers towards the front of the bus thought a fight had broken out, didn't think much of it, but there were passengers at the back of the bus who saw exactly what was happened, and that's when the bus driver pulled to the side of the road so that he and all the passengers could exit the vehicle and see what was going on and get it settled down because it didn't seem like it was de-escalating. Sometimes fights break out and people can pull people apart and it de-escalates and stuff goes on, but apparently the bus driver felt that this was something that he needed to stop the bus, pull it over, and and I'm sure it was a super chaotic event because of what we're going to discuss here in a second. Significant enough that the bus driver felt that he had to pull over. Yeah, which probably is a lot because I've seen some shit go down on buses where the bus driver doesn't pull over with anything. So have I, absolutely. I've <laughs> yeah. been on some mega buses where stuff was kind of getting crazy. A little crazy. People yeah. yelling at each other at full And throat, the bus you know, driver's like, like almost like they have blinders on. They exactly. don't give a they shit. They like, whatever. It's like it's part of the job. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they see their hand of crazy people too, especially gray on buses. I'm certain they do. Um, so anyways, the bus driver pulled to the side and passengers started exiting the vehicle. It's important to note the way that they were situated. So Vincent Lee had Tim positioned towards the back. Like, he was kind of cornered because you have to think Tim was against the window seat. Lee was next to him, and they were one aisle away from the bathroom. So they were at the very, very, very tail end of a big-ass bus. And he, and he kind of had him cornered into the side of the bus just hacking away at him, right? Like everyone said, this was unprovoked. No, it was quiet on the bus. Tim totally was asleep. Random. It was just a very random attack. So it gets really crazy and even worse. So please buckle up. up. It was important that it's noted how they were positioned because it was almost impossible for anyone to help Tim. You know, there, there were people who tried and we'll get into that in a second, but it's very important to note, you know, when you're thinking to yourself, why didn't someone do something? That's a Greyhound bus full of people. It's one man. Keep in mind he had a machete in his hand, but he had him positioned in such a way where even if someone were to, you know, tackle Vincent Lee, he would have landed on top of the victim. Right. He had him in such a way where he could not go anywhere. He was cornered and he was trapped. Totally incapacitated. Lee is hacking away, unfortunately, at Tim McLean, and he proceeded to decapitate McLean. And what he did with the head of McLean is absolutely disgusting. The whole thing's disgusting. He held the sever head up to the window to display it to the passengers who were sitting on the side of the road wondering what the fuck was going on. So at this point, almost every single person was off the bus. Tim McLean clearly is um, deceased at this point. Vincent Lee savagely decapitates him and then waves his head around the window to taunt the people sitting outside. And it was reported that people started to vomit, people are screaming, people are crying. No one can believe what's happening on this bus. I couldn't, I can't believe it now and I wasn't even there. It's just unfathomable it's it's your nightmare come to life now during that time where lee was displaying tim's head for everyone to see out the windows the driver of the greyhound bus and two other men who were on the bus attempted to get back onto the greyhound bus to try and rescue mclean obviously they didn't see what was going on they were just thinking let's get this kid out of this bus let's get him off let's help him let's get him out of here but when lee saw what they were doing he started towards the men with his knife So immediately the men said, okay, like, this guy's clearly out of sorts. He's running towards us with a machete in his hand. It's on a bus, so you have to think it's close confines. So what they did is they thought really fast, and I think this is pretty commendable. They shut the bus door, and they blocked it with a crowbar. So instead of 
getting on the bus and trying to fight Vincent Lee, they blocked him into the bus so he couldn't get off. Yeah, they barricaded They barricaded him. That was actually him. a really good idea because they knew at this point they were dealing with an unstable, unstable. Unbelievably yeah. unstable individual. Right, yeah. And from what they said, when they shut the door, it was like as he was, it's like the way I picture it is like a movie. You know, Vincent Lee's ravaged with a knife and Tim's head. It's fucking disgusting, but it's true. Running down the bus because he's seeing these people enter the bus slashing his knife at them and they immediately like i feel like it happened as he was getting close to the door they shut the door in his face and locked it and when they did that vince it was reported that vincent lee like slashed his knife through the like the slit in the door to try to like stab at them because he was just so out of out of so i don't know what the hell was happening in his brain but and then after he had gotten barricaded in right he mm -hmm. went back to mclean's body and Mm -hmm. continued to Defile the body. Yeah, just defile the body completely. He was eating parts of McLean's and severed body. Mind you, this is happening on the side of the road. Right, there are people standing. There are people the still standing outside the bus, watching this horror show take place, and yeah. I can't even. Truly unbelievable to think about. Real quick, I just want everybody to know. I think we're gonna rename this podcast. What the fuck happened here? <laughs> this is recording that. What are your thoughts on this title? I have heard is pretty. Provocative. Eye for an eye, I think, is appropriate for all of the cases. For this <laughs> what one the in fuck particular, here? we can call this case "What the fuck." Happened yeah, I'm gonna here. subtitle it, "What the fuck happened here." That's what this. Aka, what the fuck happened here? Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so getting back into it. At 8.30 p.m., the Royal Canadian Mounted Police showed up. They received the reporting of a stabbing on a Greyhound bus west of the city. Now, at that point, there weren't reports coming out of what was happening because nobody was fucking sure. Everyone's in shock. Nobody knows what's happening. It's all happening pretty decently fast. You know, you have to think their first stop was, what, at 6.30? Mm-hmm. And this is now at 8.30, two hours. They were probably on the bus more of that time than not. Yep, the Mounties. Yeah, the Mounties. What did you call them? Mounties. They're Mounties. Mounties. The Mounties. Is that how John, the people say O's? Don't you remember Canada? We were up there like two weeks ago. <laughs> you sound like fucking Irish. All right, anyways. So no. the police arrived to find Lee still on board the bus, being prevented from escaping by another passenger, the bus driver, and a truck driver who had provided a crowbar and hammer as weapons. So like we said, they blockaded him inside the bus, thinking that was the most safe for everybody outside the bus, which was every single fucking person that was once on that bus. Now, think all of their shit's still on this bus. Everyone evacuated evacuated this bus quickly. They're on the side of the road. They're on the side of the highway. highway. So the other passengers were huddled at the roadside. Some of them were crying. Some of them were vomiting. I would have probably shit my pants on the road and just died right there. I don't know. My whole, everything inside of me would have just flushed out one of my orifices. I feel sick. (laughs) It makes me sick to this day, and this this case really pisses me off for good reason, and we'll talk about that in a second. Everyone's really upset, shaken up. No one's understanding what's happening. No one knows what they just fucking saw. It, It seems like a nightmare. It seems like... It's all a fog. Nothing makes sense because none of this does make sense. Mm -hmm. This is not something you see every day happen. Nope. 
So earlier on in the night, Lee attempted to escape the bus by driving the bus away, prompting the driver to engage the emergency immobilizer system, which rendered the vehicle inoperable, which was really smart thinking on the bus driver's part. We like to credit them. Yeah, we think that's amazing. The people, the driver, the the truck truck driver, driver, and and then the the passenger. passenger who did pretty much everything that the police did. Because can you imagine, like... I just don't even want to think of what would happen if he would have got off the bus. Would he have run? Or would he have gone off to everybody else? Oh, my God. Do you think he would have killed more people? He had a machete on him. I mean, yeah. if anybody was... Which wants... we're going to touch on in a bit. Right. Witnesses had observed Lee stabbing and cutting McLean's body and carrying McLean's severed head around the bus. Now, like we said, he was shaking it at the window so everyone outside could see it. He was shaking it. He brought it with him to the front of the bus when he was, you know, storming the people that were trying to get on the bus at first to try to stop him. So it's just a fucking mess and a horrific one at that. It's just scary, it's sad, and it's horrible. All around. There's really no two ways of putting it. It's just disgusting and frightening and a nightmare. Nightmare fuel. This case gave me nightmares. There's a decapitated man whose severed head is being displayed for the people who were on the bus with him. Living about... Ten minutes ago. Yeah. And he is being paraded around. Like a toy. Like a toy. Defiled. In front of all these people. This is the type of disgusting nightmare situation you'd see on Breaking Bad and be like, oh my god. You see this shit on Saw. Like, this would be something that you would see in, like, Hostel. You know, just some crazy, unimaginable, non-realistic situation. But it happened. But this this was real life. And if you're so inclined, you can look it up and hear reports and it's horrible and I'm sure a lot of those are going to be inserted throughout here. So by 9 o'clock p.m., so 30 minutes after the police were originally notified that this was going on, that there was a stabbing on the bus, the police were in a standoff with Lee and had summoned special negotiators and a heavily armed tactical unit. Now, I don't really get this because clearly he wasn't in the right mental frame of mind and so I don't know what negotiators would do but I guess that's part of the job. You call everybody you can to try to get this situation de He brought Danny Glover in. For those of you that get the reference, I love you and continue to listen to us. I know. I know. Lisa's annoyed Help me. I'm sorry. That's a movie reference. But. <laughs> Which happens every time we speak. It's always a movie reference. I'm sorry. All right. For those of you that get so, But yes, a negotiator, a police negotiator, or a hostage negotiator would be somebody that would come in and try and not only defuse the situation, but come to terms with the hostage taker. Yeah. And find some calm way to negotiate to out of this peacefully. You know, at this point. He had no hostage except a dead body. Yeah, you gotta think that. I don't did the I don't know if the police knew that at the time. I'm guessing here's, they said that he's the only one on this bus. He is. Here's my point that I wanted to bring up eventually, but I'll bring it up now because I think it's as good a time as any. <laughs> in America, this is in Canada, mind you. This is in America. In America, it was shot his ass down. He would have been gunned down immediately. So quickly, there wouldn't have been a negotiation. There wouldn't have been a moment's notice. And this is the one time where I think maybe all that three people that the truck driver, the bus armed. driver, and the passenger would have all had their own gun and shot him themselves. Oh, God. In America. But. In the bayous. Which we're going to debate yeah, that later because I, I have some feelings. But I do believe that Matt's right. At, at this point, I feel like in. United States of America, especially in these times, he would have been killed and shot instantly by the police. By the police, if not by a private citizen. And if he isn't, if he wouldn't have been by American cops from the United States of America, I have a lot of questions about the people that they have they shot. They do down. shoot. 
Which is going to be a whole other episode. We have a lot of feelings. And Matt and I definitely don't agree on all of it, but we do agree on some of it. So it is going to be an interesting debate. And if any of you listening want to talk about guns, gun safety, gun regulations, gun laws, what you think should happen with guns, it will get maybe a little heated, but a debate's a debate. That's the fun part about it. That's why it's fun. We're all friends. We love each other. We want to talk. We want to have open debate. It's the only way progress is made, guys. Exactly. If you talk about it. Talk about things. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Talk about it. All right. Anyways, sorry, we got so off track. But Matt's right. I think if this would have happened in the U.S., the instant he started waving a severed head around the bus, they would have shot him dead. He was dead. So... I'm not sure if it... We should actually look this up and add it in at some point in this. Um, But I know in England, at least this is what my best friend tells me, cops aren't allowed to carry weapons, like firearms. They can carry, like, batons, but they can't carry a gun. can't carry anything like that. So I wonder if it's the same in Canada. I doubt it, but I don't know. I don't ever hear anything about cops or, you know, any any kind of violence perpetrating. I'm surprised to hear that in the UK, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Yep. They're not, and that's why some situations, the citizens are like, what the fuck? So we found the answer to the question you are asking earlier, which I will keep in so you guys can see that this happened in real time. Yes, it did. All police forces in Europe, as well as the U.S., Canada, and Australia, are routinely carrying firearms, says Professor Peter Waddington. The exceptions, and Lisa's friend is correct about this, are Britain, the Irish Republic, and New Zealand. In Norway, police do carry firearms, but they're in their cars and not in their person. Now, that is as of four years ago, but <laughs> I still believe that that would be true I because I don't see how true. they would have changed that without that being a major Yeah. Um, story, so so right? Canadian police do carry firearms. They do carry firearms. But maybe they're just not as trigger-happy. As us. Yeah, yeah, different conversation for a different day. All right. So, getting back into the case here... By 9 p.m., like we said, police were in a standoff with Lee and summoned special forces. While this was happening, Lee was still pacing back and forth around the length of the bus. Obviously, again, this is a huge bus. It's a Greyhound bus. If you've ever ridden a Greyhound bus, be careful. Just kidding. We're going to get, like, sued by Greyhound. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just kidding. We love you, Greyhound. Be great. Everybody take Greyhound buses. Just not in Canada. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's horrible. This is disgusting. But, it, you know, we got to make light of this because it will give me nightmares otherwise. We don't blame Greyhound. No, no. No, no. It's not at all. What are they supposed to do? Anyways, but people who hear my gun, my gun ideas, we should regulate people getting Greyhound buses then. That's not the same fucking thing. All right. Anyway. Um. So he paced the length of the bus while continuing to go back and forth to Tim's body to defile his corpse. We've already said he's beheaded him. He's been cutting off pieces of his body and eating them. And police officers observed Lee eating parts of the body. Now, during that time, the stranded passengers were then transported from the scene to be interviewed at the Brandon RCMP Detachment Center. So they were obviously all witnesses to this crime. Every single one of them had to be interviewed and like I said before, all of their shit is still on this bus. Yeah, they were deposed while this was going on. Yeah, yeah. This was, was this was on still bus. ongoing. There was no resolution at that time. Yes. Which is crazy and scary. Yeah, that's almost insane unto itself. Yeah. They're all so, it was reported by the RCMP officers that they, while having a standoff with Lee, heard him mumble to himself, I have to stay on this bus forever. 
And he said that a few times. And on July 31st, 2008, at 1 a.m., so it was like the next day, hardly, but the next day, uh, Vincent Lee attempted to escape from the bus by breaking through a window. So he smashed a window and tried to jump out of it. And that's when they were able to arrest Lee. And how they did that was they shot him with a taser twice to get him down and then handcuffed him and placed him in the back of a police cruiser. Yeah, he was subdued once he tried to exit the bus. That was shortly after 1.30 yeah, so let's go over the time frame again real quickly, just so you know. It doesn't exactly say when this all started. It says at 6.55 is when they stopped and Erickson picked up Lee, and then they said there was shortly other another stop, and that's when he moved back, and then this all began, and like we said, at 8.30 is when the police were called, and at 9 is when the police were in standoff, and now we're at 1.30 a.m. when No motive, by yeah. the way. We still are not sure. We're still, yeah. At so, that point, at what that point, yeah. When they got Lee detained, they obviously went on the cruiser to, you know, investigate the crime scene. Parts of the body were placed in plastic bags and were retrieved from the bus, while his ear, nose, and tongue were found in Lee's pockets. Yes. So when they searched Vincent Lee, the nose, ears, and tongue were in his pockets. They originally thought he was bleeding. Yeah. That he had stabbed himself. Yep. And they, he had several pieces of Tim in his pockets. Tim McLean in his pockets. McLean's eyes and a part of his heart were never recovered and presumed to have been eaten by Lee. Because like we said, officers watched him put things into his mouth. And the only thing on the bus was him and this body at this point. Now, at 10 a.m., so the next day, Greyhound representatives took the other passengers to a local store to replace their clothes, which remained on the bus because they are now all part of this crime scene. And they arrived in Winnipeg at 3.30 p.m. that day to be reunited with their family members and friends or who they originally were, you know, planning on seeing from that trip. So they did end up making it, everybody on the bus ended up making it the next day after this horrific ordeal at 3.30 p.m. Now the standoff, as it was taking place, news reporters obviously came to scene because this had come through the police station and then I'm sure people were calling their families as this was happening I know it was said that actually she said herself so Tim McLean's mom was at home and her name is Carol Dedelli I don't know if that's how Dedelli Dedelli Okay, so McLean's mother, Carol D. Daly, had heard about the incident on the news because, like we said, this was being widely reported as it was happening because so many people were reporting to their family, friends, and, of course, news spreads like wildfire, but was unaware that the person that they were talking about being deceased on this bus was her son. She There's actually an interview with her, which I might try to insert bits and pieces of. She said, you know, she thought how horrible, how horrific for that person's family I can't believe this this happened. It's so sad. It's so horrible. I had no idea the person who she was referring to while listening to this news report on the news was her son. When I initially heard what had happened, I, I felt sick. I felt nauseous. Uh, uh, we prayed for the family of this person. And then 24 hours later found out it was my son that we had prayed for. Timothy was working with uh, the fair, which travels from to major cities all across Canada. And um, he had just finished working in Edmonton and was on his way home. He had been on the bus already for over 20 hours. He was catching a nap. He had earbuds in so as not to disturb anybody with his music and was sleeping. Uh, and uh, a passenger sat down beside him and with no forewarning and completely unprovoked started to stab him. 
the first two wounds were um, very severe to the neck and upper chest, but in those first two blows, the adrenaline kicked in and Timothy jumped up out of his seat, uh, continued to stab him well over a hundred times, uh, decapitated him, uh, cut off everything that could be cut off of him, consumed his eyes, and a third of his heart muscle. Cannibalism. Cannibalism. Uh, that would be the reason that it was uh, worldwide international headlines. Um, the gruesomeness of it all was horrific, to say the least. We had heard all day long about this event having happened, and then I heard that it was so close to where I lived, and then 24 hours later we were told that it was my child. It took that long? To be it told. took that long for us to be notified. Um, I'm told that part of the reason for that is the police wanted to be sure that they had the correct identity of the individual before they notified any family. Um, Timothy's body was so severely and horribly desecrated that they could not identify him by his very identifiable tattoo. There were police officers on the scene from about 10 minutes into the attack, and the preceding standoff um, took about four hours and 48 minutes that the RCMP uh, took to assemble their task force, show up on the scene, and then stood by and did nothing for four hours and 48 minutes while this man ravaged my son's body and cannibalized my child. Eventually, at about 1.30 in the morning, um, Vince Lee threw himself out of a bus window in order to be apprehended. And when he was apprehended, he was found to have my son's ear, nose, and tongue in a baggie in his pocket. The internal organs of my child were in four to six different locations on the bus in bags. Which adds just another horrible, heart-wrenching level to this that it's just unfathomable. I can't even imagine what she went through and hearing about what had happened to her son and then realizing it was her son. Well, so like this went on over several hours. Yeah. So she's yeah, watching it play out She's live. watching it play out as it's happening. And then hearing from multiple news sources what was going on, but not yeah, knowing who, who it, was it was that was dead. And what and how she ended up finding out was Tim's dad, who, who had called her, because I guess the police had ID'd Timothy's body on the bus. I'm guessing with his belongings being there, it was pretty easy to do. And they had reached out to his dad, and his dad reached out to his mom and let her know that this, in fact, was her son who was being defiled and was all over the news. I cannot even fathom what that call would have been like. No. Surreal. Just not even in a whole – honestly, I, I, I have a hard time believing that I would even believe it. No, I don't know what you're talking about. All right, so now we're going to get into some of the background for Vince Lee. Just because, and the reason we're focusing on him, I just want to remind you guys, is not because we don't care about Tim McLean or anything about him. It's just because this whole podcast is centered around the sentencing. And without understanding this man's background, it's hard to make a, a good assumption. You don't have to think. Mental illness needs to be taken into consideration. All of these factors. Was this guy a good guy? Did he have a history? We're going to find out right now. But I think these are all really important things to evaluate in cases. Because, you know, there is... This is not one of those scenarios, but there is no such thing as self-defense and stand your ground laws. And this is not one of those cases at all, but those are important to understand the background of that person, of that individual, you know, what they've gone through in order to understand the sentencing. And that by no means means sympathize with him at all. No means. No. 
but we that's why we're focusing on his background rather than Tim's. And I just wanted to point that out because I didn't want to seem like we're completely ignoring the no, victim. No, it's part of the sentence to understand what the criminal element was. We yeah, have to. You absolutely. Know, Vincent Waigong Lee, who was commonly known as Vince Lee, was born in Dandong, Liaoneng, China, on April 30th, 1968. In 1992, he transferred, I'm sorry, he graduated from the University of Wuhan Institute of Technology with a Bachelor of Science degree in computers. So he had a technical background, and then from 1994 to 1998, he worked in Beijing as a computer software engineer. He emigrated then from Canada, or I'm sorry, from China to Canada on June 11, 2001, and became a Canadian citizen full time five years later, November 7, 2006. The psychiatrist Stanley Yaren, who examined Lee throughout this, said he was hospitalized in 2003 or 2004 after an incident with the Ontario Provincial Police. Now, it wasn't very specific what that what happened there, but it is important to note he he did have an issue with the police where he was subsequently hospitalized. He was detained and hospitalized. Mm -hmm. So he worked in Winnipeg doing menial tasks at the Grand Memorial Church for six months to support his wife, whose name was Anna. Now, Pastor Tom Castor, who employed Lee... Sorry, can we go over that name? Read it out loud. All right, Pastor Tom Castor... (laughs) Pastor Tom Castor. That's pretty great. Hi, Pastor Castor. Pastor Castor. <laughs> Hi, I'm Pastor Castor, and you're here at my church. That's not how Canadians sound. Anyways. Hey, Southern Canadians. <laughs> yeah, I should start speaking in French. Anyways, so Pastor Tom Castor. Pastor Tom Castor. That is the Tom Castor. Pastor Tom Castor was who employed Lee, and he said he seemed happy to have a job and was committed to doing it well despite the language barrier with other congregation members. It does kind of make me sad. I'm not, I can't speak on to why he didn't work at a job that pertained to his degree right off the bat, and it could very well be because of the language barrier. But that does kind of make me sad. Like, and I understand it's hard he also must not have had speaking. some mental incapacitation oh, that for didn't sure. allow him to get a job within his field. Yeah. Clearly, if he's a software engineer in China and then he comes over to America, yeah, yeah. Right, it might be a little Canada, different. It might be a little bit of a different standard, but you think you can at least translate to be able to speak computer language? Yeah, Pastor <laughs> Caster, Pastor Caster said, "I think he would occasionally." I don't know why I turned him into like a southern man. He's not southern. Man. He's Canadian. <laughs> Okay, so Pastor Caster said, I think he would occasionally feel frustrated with not being able to communicate or understand, but we have a very patient staff, and he seemed to respond well. So all of Caster's reports in regards to Lee said he did not show any signs of anger issues or any other trouble before he quit in the spring of 2005. So they said he was a good worker, he was a hardworking man, even though there was a bit of a language barrier that he sometimes got frustrated with, it seemed like that didn't bother him much, it didn't take away from his his work ethic. He was a blue-collar guy. He worked. His wife was a waitress. He worked with his hands with a church, and he was Mm -hmm. trying to make a living. That's all it was at first. Yeah, and when he he left the church, he ended up getting a job as a forklift operator in Winnipeg while his wife worked as a waitress. Now, it, like I said, and it's, it's, kind of irrelevant. It doesn't really say much about his wife, and I don't want to blow up her spot because she's definitely still out there somewhere. And so it doesn't really matter what she did, but she was a waitress, and I don't know how they matter anything really about her. Lee first moved to Edmonton. Is that how you say it? Edmonton. 
Edmonton. Okay, so Lee first moved to Edmonton in 2006, and that was a little bit strange because he did up and leave his wife alone in Winnipeg until she ended up joining him later. It seemed like kind of an erratic move. That was like one of, besides his little stint in the hospital um, in 2003 and 2004, it seemed like this was another sign that, you know, there was a little bit of an erratic part of him where he just would up and leave. And that that's one of them. When you move and he didn't bring his wife or seemingly even tell his wife, he just bounced. Like we said, Lee first moved to Edmonton in 2006. And when he was there, his jobs included service at a Walmart, at a fast food restaurant, and he was also a newspaper delivery man. His delivery boss, Vincent Agurt, described Lee as a reliable, hardworking man and didn't show any signs of trouble, which seemed to be common between his employees. Now, four weeks before the killing, however, he was fired from Walmart following a, quotes, disagreement with other employees. Not really reported on what that disagreement was, but it was enough to get him fired. So maybe there was a bit of erraticness in that argument or disagreement or whatever happened there. Let me know if you know anything about that disagreement. I don't know if it really matters, but hey, if you guys have the facts, let us know. So shortly before... The incident on the Greyhound bus with Tim McLean. Lee asked for time off from his delivery job to go to Winnipeg for a job interview. Now, you know, most people see that and think, oh, this is great. He's trying to, you know, up in his career. So at 12.05 p.m. July 28, 2008 in Edmonton, Lee boarded that Greyhound bus for Winnipeg. Now, on July 29th, around 6 p.m., Lee got off the bus in Erickson, Manitoba, with at least three pieces of luggage and stayed the night on a bench next to a grocery store. As we said, he boarded this bus originally to go to a job interview. And again, there seems to be some kind of disconnect in his actions versus what he said he was doing, because he did get off the bus at Erickson and sleep on a bench. And I'm not sure what person preparing for an interview would sleep on a bench. I don't know. I'm not one to judge, I guess. But that does seem a little strange. You normal, you know, normal everyday people don't spend the night on a bench outside of a grocery store. Yeah. Now, according to one witness, he was seen at, this kind of freaks me out. I don't know if you read this part and were freaked out as I was, but it freaked me the fuck out because this is the kind of shit that Nightmare is made of. Like just the little things. Like I said with Manson, creepy crawling really fucked me up. This really fucked me up. So, According to one witness, Vincent Lee was seen at 3 a.m. sitting bolt upright on this bench with his eyes wide open just staring. Does that not freak you the fuck out? Can you imagine at 3 in the morning, dead silent of night, no one's out, no one's around, you're doing whatever. I don't know who saw him, who the witness was. I don't know who the witness was, <laughs> yes. but I would have been creeped. I would have ran, but like seeing someone with their eyes busted open, not busted open, that sounded weird, with his eyes wide open, just staring, sitting up at three in the morning, just staring off. That's creepy. That's a creepy visual, regardless of who you are. I think that's scary. And again, that's another point where something is not quite right. Right. Now, on the morning of July 30th, still at that same bench that he slept on and was hanging out at 3 a.m. on, contemplating whatever the hell was going on in his head, he ended up selling his new laptop computer that he had just purchased to a 15-year-old boy who was named Darren for $60. I mean, this is, what, 2008? Laptops are still not cheap. They weren't cheap in 2008. They aren't cheap now. Right. To sell your new laptop 
for 60 bucks when you brought it with you because you said you were going to a job interview? That's a little strange. It's a little strange. But this boy was obviously fucking excited. Obviously, after all of this happened, the laptop ended up being seized by the RCMP as evidence, and the boy was subsequently given a new laptop for his honesty by an anonymous businessman, which was nice. That was really sweet because he did come forward and say, I know that man who's on the news. He sold me his laptop. And, of course, the police seized that because they thought maybe that will lead us to how the hell any of this happened. Maybe he Googled some stuff. Who knows? Witness Garnet Canton said Lee seemed oblivious to others when the stabbing occurred. Adding, he was struck by how calm that the man was, saying that there was no rage or anything. He was like a robot Almost stabbing like the guy. Dutifully doing it. Yeah. He had heard. no emotion, and he was just like a robot, is what they said. And when Lee appeared in a Portage La Prairie courthouse on charges of second degree murder, the only words that people reported Lee saying were he was uttering pleas for someone to kill him. Over and over again, just saying, someone kill me, someone please kill me, just kill me, just kill me now, just kill me. That's all anyone reported hearing from him. All right, so let's get into this trial, and then let's talk about it. So, Lee's trial began on March 3rd, 2009, and Lee pleaded not criminally responsible. Now, I wanted to go over this really quick before we get into the rest of it. Pleading not criminally responsible means that he accepted that the offense occurred, but he claimed that he was unable to form the necessary mental element or mens rea for the the whole thing to occur. So mens rea, yeah. So mens rea literally means guilty mind. Guilty mind, guilt of the mind. Yep, and it's the mental element of one, the intention to commit a crime, or two, knowledge that one's action or lack of action would cause a crime to be committed. It's necessary. It's a necessary element for many crimes. Now, in jurisdictions with due process, there must be both actus reus, which means guilty act, and mens rea for the defendant to be guilty of a crime. As a general rule, someone who acted without mental fault is not liable in a criminal law. Exceptions are known as strictly liability crimes. I looked this up on my own, and I thought this was really interesting before we get into, you know, how the trial played out. I found it interesting. I did some research. In Canada, it is rare to fight a case a criminal case on the basis of mental illness. Now, I did look up some statistics, and in Canada, from 2005 to 2012, only 0.09% of adult criminal court cases raised the issue of mental illness. In order to raise the issue of mental illness for a criminal case, the accused must be able to understand that their behavior was wrong in order to be found guilty. Now, not only do they have to realize that their behavior is wrong, They also must appreciate that the acts committed match that behavior. It's important to note that a person can be so delusional that they believe that their action is right or justified, which we're going to get into in a second here because it's a big part of this case. Wrong, in quotes, so the word wrong, is not restricted to legally wrong but also morally wrong. So it does not just count what's wrong according to the law. It's also what's wrong according to moral standards, which some most often go hand in hand. Right. Typically right? we're talking about a case where if it breaks some moral law, man, it broke some legality as well. Yeah. It's important to note that because we're going to talk about what Lee said in a minute, but the trial here obviously had tight security for fear that vigilantes might try to harm Lee. Obviously this case fucked up a lot of people, not only Tim's family and, and you know, and that's... 
changing. You know? Yeah. Very different from a lot of things. And, Changed yeah. a lot of media. This is something things. that you don't, I, we still haven't seen since, thank God. And, right. you know, hopefully we never see again. And it, it's one of those things that not only did it affect the victim and his family and his friends, it also affected every single person on that bus who bore witness, including the police officers, including the people on the bus, the Driver, people driving by, truck drivers. drivers. So it's really important traffic. to note that a lot of people wanted to see justice. So the presiding judge in this case was John Scurfield. Basically what they thought was the psychiatrist said that Lee performed the attack. And this is what Lee told him. Matt, you want to take it away? What Lee said that that happened? Yeah, Lee actually... This is kind of funny because we've heard this type of excuse defense before, mm-hmm. and it's never really worked as far as I can tell, yeah. except really in this case. So the psychiatrist said that Lee performed the attack because God's voice had spoken to him and told him that McLean was an evil force, some type of demonic thing. force, alien to him, that was going to attack him and execute him and kill him. Uh, and therefore... The judge actually accepted the diagnosis because he thought that it was so extreme. The circumstances were so out there that Lee had attacked this man with such severity and with such disregard that the only way he could have thought that was that he actually believed Believed that this was a valid threat. And yeah, he said that the evidence was clear that Lee was suffering from a major mental illness when he attacked the sleeping McLean on July 30th, repeatedly stabbing him and then dismembering him and also eating parts of him. And that goes to what I just read with the Canada law for the mental illness, you know, uh, argument. A little bit of a different standard than we have in the United States. Where you have to, you as the person committing the crime have to understand fully that the behavior was wrong in order to be found guilty. And wrong, like we said, doesn't mean legally wrong, but also means morally wrong, which we'll talk about in a second because I think that could have, change this if that part of that was That's really paid attention to. That's where the in the U.S. would have been. Did you yeah. realize what was morally wrong? I think one man's morals being different from the vast majority of people's wouldn't necessarily dictate, but we'll discuss yeah. that. But it's important. Like I said, a person can be so delusional that they believe that their action is right and justified. And like Matt said, Vincent Lee heard who he believed was God's voice telling him that this man who was sleeping next to him, listening to music, minding his own business, he really thought he was in was gonna was gonna kill him. And by the by the way he acted, it they there were reports that it was like robotic. It was just like so mechanical the way Vincent Lee was moving. But in a way, I feel like that was fear. I think he really like Matt said. I think he really believed like dutifully. Yeah, he was. He which did it as though he had to. Yeah, which is. Really sad. It's oh, the yeah. whole thing is fucked up. But um, so let's go on and say. I mean, there was an attorney that said after hearing the verdict that Mr. Lee was a schizophrenic, and that was obviously kind of postponed being said until after the trial. Mm-hmm. But it could have been said very early on that he was schizophrenic. He thought that something was going on in his mind that was not clearly happening around him. Yeah. So the direct quote from Crown Attorney Joyce Dahlman after hearing the verdict, was Mr. Lee, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the psychiatrist, had no idea that what he was doing was wrong. People who are mentally ill should not be convicted when they don't know what they did was wrong. They need to be treated. I certainly agree that, in Mr. Lee's case, he needs to be treated for a very long time. 
keep in mind, everybody, before we get to the actual sentencing and what's going on now, this was in 2008. Yes. That was not a very long time ago. Ten years less. A little less. Like nine and some quarters. Yeah. So, after the verdict, obviously with the judge finding that he could not be held criminally responsible for the actions he committed, he was remanded to a mental health facility, Selkirk Mental Health Center. Which is in Canada. That was in Canada, in Saskatchewan. Or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was in Saskatchewan, right? I have no idea. I don't know. I think that's what it said. That's what I read. Yeah. So after hearing the sentence, McLean's mom, Carol Delay, did Delay, I'm sorry, did, did Delay or did Delay, did Delay. We're, wow. not sure, we're not sure how to pronounce her name. Did Delay, we're going to go with Carol did Delay, said that he should be held responsible for it. He still did it. Whether he was in the right frame of mind or not, he still did the act. There was nobody else on that bus holding a knife slicing up my child. Let's pause here because I agree with her 110%. Absolutely, I do too. I I said this before and I'll say it again. Yes, there clearly was a mental break here. There was a severe mental break and apparently there was a little bit of history of it in the past as well. However, that does not mean that you are not responsible. I get it. I get what they're saying that the accused must be able to understand that their behavior was wrong in order to be found guilty. And people who genuinely believe what they were doing was correct or right or justified is different. But I still think you need to be held accountable for what you did. You still killed someone. Someone is still gone. And especially in this case, you did it in a very horrific way. And we haven't gotten into what's going on right now yet. But I just wanted to point that out. That's my feelings. And I get mental illness. I don't get it. Obviously, I don't get mental illness. I don't suffer from, yeah, yeah, I don't suffer from, you know, schizophrenia myself. I don't know what that struggle is like. And I completely sympathize with people who do. And like I've said before, we're not stigmatizing mental illness here. That's not what we're doing. I, I don't think that this is an indication of all mental illness or saying that if you have certain mental illnesses, this is what you're going to end up doing because that's what the you know, the stigma is around that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Most people with mental illnesses do not commit horrific crimes. And that's the point. That's the point. There are many people that suffer with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, you know, borderline personality disorder, multiple personality disorder, and everything else that do not commit these horrible crimes. And that's why I have trouble relating it. And I know mental illness is a scale and it's, it's definitely fluctuates from severity. It, it can be outbursts. It can be a complete break with reality. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be something that you've suffered with your whole life. It can come out of almost absolutely nowhere. And I, I, I sympathize with that. But again, mental illness is a very, very common issue it is. and or not issue. It's not, I don't even think it's an issue. It's a very common thing that people have to deal with. It, it's just a part of life unfortunately, but I don't, people don't kill, people don't eat people. I think with that Carol the Deli brings up a great point that he still Did was it. the only committer of the act that could have been responsible was Vincent Lee. Wait, Matt, you said something before we started recording this that I thought was like amazing in regards to that exact point that, um, Fuck, she said it to someone. You said something. Hold on, I'm going to think of it because it was really great and I just had it in my brain to say out loud or to remind you to say. Fuck, what did you say? So what I believe I said before this was. Why did it take me so long to remember? Despite being under the delusion 
but you might be under threat. There are multiple recourses of action. You like you could take. get up on the bus. You could get say, up and move. You could get up and warn somebody. Yeah. For Christ's sake, you could stand up and yell above the top of your lungs. But you need at to pull over. Bus. I need to get off the bus. I need to get off. I'm scared for my life. You might be the crazy idiot on the bus that's yelling for no reason, but that's better than being the crazy idiot. Who now, obviously, he was under a total psychotic break. We, I believe. Yeah, again, so he's not a crazy idiot, but we he's... aren't. We aren't psychiatrists or psychologists, and we're not therapists, so we can't even begin to talk to that. To anybody about it or diagnose anybody with anything. We're just going off what we're reading. We're going off what we're reading and what our opinions are, but I believe he was under a psychotic break. Oh, well, a thousand percent he was. Yeah. So there's like, no he way even that he said should he was. That's be... what he thought this case was. Right. There's no way that he should be held accountable as being in his right mind. He wasn't. He had but no clue what was happening. I don't think that should mean he shouldn't be held accountable. I agree. I just think. See, that's a, where it's so tricky. It's so tricky. There's a different tricky. degree of liability for what you do. And honestly, on I do think it depends on the crime. I agree with you. It depends on the crime. You know, this is a horrific, horrific crime. He took it like 35 steps above but any normal. But we also normal. can't have people committing more horrible crimes in order to plead insanity, you know what I mean? You can't shoot somebody in the head to deny that it was a mafia-style hit and then cut them up to make it look like it was a crazy person that did it. Yeah. That's the type of... Like I said, we're using crazy person loosely because he killed someone, not because we think that mental illness equates to being crazy. No, it doesn't. Because I know people get upset with the word crazy because it's kind of like a derogatory word. It's not in that sense. I mean, I think anything... We say it's crazy as though being like, it's crazy. Like, it's or wild. Or we could mean, like, it's wild. Or we could mean... We don't mean it in, like, this guy is, like, crazy because he has a mental right. illness. Instability is what I would say yeah. without saying it's I just like to say that because I never know, like, who's offended, you know, and no, I never want to offend someone. No, we're not here to offend anybody, and please don't think and the defin- the the dictionary definition of crazy, which I just fucking looked up so we can be using it properly, is mentally deranged, especially manifested in a wild or aggressive way. So it's he is a hundred percent crazy. He manifested a he he assaulted someone. Yes, into an assault. Yep. So an aggressive way. After two years of the murder, after the sentencing, after the trial has taken place, June third, two thousand ten. This is not quite. We're about to get through a timeline of. The most frustrating yeah, series very, of events. You'll in the be whole as world. confused as we are, hopefully. Yeah. Otherwise, so, you guys might understand some stuff differently. So, on <laughs> June 3rd, 2010, Lee was granted supervised outdoor walks within his mental health facility as voted by the Provincial Review Board. So, that means that he was allowed outside to walk around with supervisors to keep an eye on him, but he could experience outside treatment. So, he was getting better treatment than a typical prisoner would. Yep. Not quite a year later, on February 16th, 2010. You mean 11? I'm sorry, 2011. This was a year later, not quite. Two passengers, Deborah Tucker of Port Colborne, Ontario, and Kaylee Shaw of London, Ontario, filed a lawsuit against Vincent Lee, Greyhound, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and the Canadian government for being exposed to the beheading. They were two passengers who had sat through all this, on the afternoon of July 30th, and witnessed Vincent Lee killing him. And they both sued for $3 million in damages. 
So that's a little bit of a fun fact just to keep in mind that they were also two totally out there people that had been outliers from the situation. Mm-hmm. They were not directly involved, but they were. They were there. They were witnesses. Impacted. Exactly. And, and like we said earlier in the top of the show, there were, it's a full Greyhound bus. A lot of people witnessed this happen. How many people can sit on a Greyhound bus? How many would you say, like, if you had to guess? 50, 60. Yeah. Tops. Yeah. A lot of people were there. And you have to think this happened between two passengers. So 48 people, if the bus was full, give or take, witnessed this happen. And you have to think how horrific. It's not just, I mean, any any witnessing any kind of atrocious murder or crime or any kind of crime anywhere can be haunting, but the gravity, the disgusting and depravity the, of this, he, like, waving around body parts, eating them, beheading him, this could fuck some up, which is why they sued, so. They eventually them. did drop those charges, though. So which I wonder why. Yeah. I'd be very curious to find out. Maybe you know, they thought, I thought it was too much. A little bit. I think it was probably just too too much cost. Yeah. Not enough. Four money. years later, though, they dropped it. Right, so this went on for a while. but I Matt, leave they... the fly alone. No, leave it alone. It wants to be with its family. Matt, leave it alone. I'll catch you and put it outside. Leave it alone. Matt, you're not you're not like a kung fu panda. Uh, right there. Look, stay here. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll go back to talking about this horrific crime, and I'm trying to catch a fly to put it outside. All right, Matt, keep going with this timeline of nonsense. So, yes. So but, four, but that was four years later. That so was four years later. So they we dropped just wanted to interject later. that little... Do you think maybe it wasn't though. getting picked up seriously, and that's I why it took so long? I believe they probably just ran out of money, yeah. honestly. And when it comes to a court case, a civil case in court, it becomes an expense. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a lot of money. And they sued a lot of wealthy corporations or a government or an individual who was in jail. Yeah. So they really had no opportunity. So on May 30th, 2011, the CBC reported that Lee was actually responding very well to psychiatric treatment and that his doctor, after several face-to-face visits, had recommended that he receive more freedom and give him some more ground to kind of have the ability to speak with different people, not just his doctors, get outside more, have some recreational activity, but that that would be phased out over several months. So uh, currently, at the time, like we say, he was incarcerated in a mental health facility. This was phased out over several months, and to the point that a year later, on May 17, 2012... That's like six days after my birthday. What was I doing in 2012? That was my freshman year of college. What up? That's cool. I know exactly where I was. That's weird. That's weird. Sorry. Well, now we know where Vincent Lee was, too. Yeah. On May 17th, though, 2012, the National Post reported that Vincent Lee had been granted temporary passes that would allow him to leave the Selkirk Mental Health Center for visits to the town of Selkirk while being supervised by a nurse and a peace officer. What the hell is a peace officer? I'm assuming somebody that works for the hospital that keeps an eye on the patients when they're out and tries to maintain the civil order. I don't know, to be honest. But, like, honestly, if you look at this guy's crimes, we're going to keep going because the timeline is not over yet. But, yeah, but he's um, out. He's walking around the town like he's, you know, obviously out, supervised. Yeah. But Hardly. basically, he's got the same freedom. But that's somebody. what I was going to say is, like, even though he's supervised, there was 48 people on the bus with him that could do nothing. And he's out walking around with them. He could be having lunch with, in the diner with them. So a peace officer, I just looked it up, and the first thing that came off said just law enforcement officer. just a different way of saying it. And it's a law enforcement officer or peace officer in North American English. 
is a public sector employee whose duties pr- primarily involve the enforcement of law. So it's just a police officer. Just a cop. It just sounds Another nice. Another way of saying it. So in an interview then that occurred in 2012 after he was allowed to leave Selkirk Mental Health Center, he was speaking about the crimes that he had been obviously accused Wait, that of was in 2004. No, no. He's talking about the first time that he heard that was in 2004. Oh, yep, 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 yeah. yep. So this this interview occurred in 2012, but he was talking about the first time he heard the quote-unquote voice of God that told him that McLean was a threat to him and that he should kill him and that he was the reason, that that was the reason that he was under that delusion. Mind you, that was in 2008. Right, this was in 2008. He claimed that the first time he heard the voice of God was in 2004 and that he was trying to save people from an attack by aliens. Do you think that's when he got hospitalized by, because he said they had, like, a he had an issue with police and they hospitalized him. Could have been. He had, like, a, and you would hospital, you would take someone to jail if they broke the law. So maybe he had, like, because he said in 2004, and that's when he got a, put in the mental health facility or the the treatment facility, whatever, the, the hospital is what they called it. I'm right. guessing it's a mental health facility. Right. So do you think something broke in him at that point, and that's when he said that's the first time that it was reported that he heard the voice of God? It very well could have been. I just that thought of that. First, I don't know, obviously, but yeah. it could have been that that was the first reported time. Because that's what he's attributing it to. Yeah. So I don't know. But it could have very well been the time that he probably thought that he was really losing touch with reality. Yeah. Um, And then in an interview, actually, with Chris Somerville, who was the head of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada, we spoke about it again, saying that he began hearing the voice of God in 2004. And he went on to say that the voice told me that I was the third story of the Bible, that I was like the second coming of Jesus. That I was to save people from a space alien attack. I was really scared. I remember cutting off his head. I believed that he was an alien. His voices told me to kill him, that he would kill me or kill others. I do not necessarily believe this now. And that's what Vincent Lee said about the attack. He was talking about the attack on Tim McLean. So, so that's where he said he, he believed he was an he alien. Had to kill this man. Yeah, the, he said the voices told me to kill him, that he would kill me or others. I do not believe this now. And he said he remembers cutting off his head. Now, that's a fucking scary thing to remember. Right. He, he remembers vividly attacking him, killing him, cutting off his head. But he justifies it as saying he had a right to do it because he thought he was a threat. I'm kind of curious. Again, I don't, um, I don't, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I'm curious with people who are suffering from mental breaks, if it's often that they remember what they do. Uh, like he said he remembered cutting off his head. But if you, I feel like if you're having a mental break, wouldn't it kind of feel like a I drunken night? I would say that's uncharacteristic almost to be able to remember. Let us know. If anyone knows the answer to that, I'm really curious. I want to know if it's common for people who are having mental breaks to remember the actions that they took within that mental break state. Or if it's kind of like having a blackout. Like you just wake up and you're like, holy fuck, like I didn't remember anything. What happened? Right. And then that's when, yeah. That's when it comes back. So then later, after spending several more years in the mental health center in Selkirk, he was still allowed to leave on unsupervised visits now, starting at 30 minutes and expanding to full day trips. Like, what do you need to do in town, honestly? I I don't even go into our town. He was going to have, (laughs) like, days out by himself, by... 
And who the fuck, first of all, you're, okay, so we're assuming, you know, law-abiding citizens, but if he's unsupervised and you let him out for 30 minutes and he doesn't come back, what do you do then? If he's unsupervised, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like, no one's watching him, so he could do whatever the fuck he wants. He could never come back, you know? Of course, obviously, it seems like he did because they trusted him to continue on that that pattern until they turned into full-day trips, but, like, what? Like, what? I I truly don't know. Don't kill the fly. I don't know what the fly is. I see it. I just know. I thought you saw it. So, anyways, since 2013, Vince Lee had been allowed to have supervised visits to Lockport, Winnipeg, and nearby beaches. Those visits were then relaxed. On July 17, 2014, the Toronto Sun reported that one of the first officers on the scene, Corporal Ken Barker of the RCMP, had died by suicide. The family stated in his obituary that he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Kind of, they didn't say outright, but everybody that knows this officer believes that it had to do directly with Vincent Lee's case and witnessing everything that just happened. Because like I said, this was one of the first officers on the scene. So he saw the most horrific parts of this crime take place. The whole thing's horrific, but he saw it happen from almost the beginning. Yeah. Almost the beginning. You have to wonder what his thoughts were. And and those things don't leave your mind. You know, right. some people watch scary movies and that shit stays in their nightmares for the rest of their lives. This person witnessed the most horrific crime maybe committed in Canada's history or, you know, one of the top. Well, this and fucking Luca, they just have the, like, they don't have a lot of crime, I feel like, but they have the craziest motherfuckers that are there. And crazy, you know, as we defined earlier. Which is really sad. I thought that was really important to put in because that that shows that this case had everlasting effects on the people who were there. Like we said, those people tried to sue almost everybody involved because they witnessed the beheading. I thought that was important to add because it's important to realize while Vincent Lee is slowly getting his freedoms back, more and more people have the everlasting effects of what he did. And I think that's so important. Because I think that shows where so many fallacies came through on this on this sentencing. On February 27, 2015, CBC News reported that Lee was given unsupervised day passes to, vin- to visit Winnipeg so long as he carried a functioning cellular telephone while using them. Right. You're fucking kidding me. Yeah, he could be on the phone. He was able to completely leave the city that he was staying in. To visit Winnipeg as long as he carried a cell phone. That's the only stipulation that they had. As long as he carried a cell phone, he can go by himself and travel to a different city. It's ridiculous. On May 8th, 2015, everything seems to happen in May. This was... (laughs) Yeah, this was very sequential. This was three days before my birthday. Um, On May 8th, 2015... CTV News reported that Lee would be granted passes to group homes in the community. In February 2016, it was reported that Lee had legally changed his name and was seeking to leave his group home to live independently. On February 10th, 2017, all right, this was this year, mind you. This was this fucking year. This year. The Manitoba Criminal Code Review Board ordered Lee be discharged. Lee was granted an absolute discharge. There will be no legal obligations or restrictions pertaining to Lee's independent living. If you guys have Q-tip fuzz stuck in your ears and you didn't, you're, you're kind of confused on what that means, that means Vincent Lee is now allowed to live as if this never happened. Right. 
Um, I'm pretty sure the fact that there's no legal obligations or restrictions means no one's checking up on him. No He's girl. a free man, free walking the street. And this happened this year. Now, this is 10 years almost after the incident happened. However, this man who beheaded someone, ate their body parts, paraded them around, Cut caused people to him off cu- kept them. Kept them. He had just complete break, uh, caused people to die by suicide, caused so much PTSD. I'm sure more have not come forward or hasn't been made public I'm of sure other people suffering. Still happening. This man is now walking free. Now he won the right to live alone on February 26th. So 16 days after they granted him the absolute discharge upon the recommendation of the criminal Code Review Board. We'll go into talking about this in a second, but I wanted to touch on McLean's mother's. So McLean's mother had created the DDLA Foundation for Life to pursue changes to the criminal law. As you can imagine, this was mainly to make sure people that were victims of horrific crimes had justice, pretty much. Um, In 2014, she did shut down the foundation, but she still has the petition open for Tim's Law. The Tim's Law petition calls on the federal government in Canada to change the Criminal Code of Canada to enact a minimum sentence for people who commit murder but are found not criminally responsible on the account of a mental disorder, which they do abbreviate as NCRAMD. People who have the NCRAMD on their account should still serve a minimum sentence is what she's fighting for, and I 100% agree with. She wants anyone who voluntarily takes another person's life to lose his freedom for the rest of his life, regardless of whether he's declared not criminally responsible. I wanted to give you guys the website for Tim's Law Petition to sign it. So the website for Tim's Law Petition is still up and running, and I did look through it, even though she shut down the foundation Um that petition is still up and well, and we'll discuss it in a second. But I was looking through it to see if it was still, you know, recent. And the most recent signature I found was from 5-15-2017. So May 15th, 2017 is the most recent signature I found on his law. And I'm going to sign it probably today just to put my name out there as well, even though I don't know if I count because I'm not in Canada and I'm not a Canadian citizen. But I'll see if I do, and if I do, I'll put my name on there. But if you guys live in Canada or want to find out more to send this petition, if you agree with Tim's mom and you believe that there should be um, minimum sentences enacted for people who commit murder but are found uh, NCRAMD. Not criminally responsible, not recent mental defense. Yeah, I already went over that. But if you um, if you agree with her and think that there should be a minimum sentence for those people who are not found guilty by reason of mental disorder however they commit a heinous crime such as murder she wants them to have a minimum sentence so she wants anyone who voluntarily takes another person's life to lose his freedom or his or hers freedom for the rest of their life regardless of whether they're declared criminally responsible or not let's talk about that so do you agree with tim's mom in that um there should be a minimum sentence for people who commit murder but are found not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder. Let's do an eye for an eye, Lisa. What do we think? I'm asking you. Well, do you agree with that? That part of it. Uh, not. Let's not talk about Vincent Lee this exact second. Okay, yeah. First of all, we'll hold off on that. Then, yeah, I totally agree there should be a minimum sentence. Do I agree it should be life in prison? No. 
I do think there should be a minimum sentence. I, I think agree. there should be some type of punishment so that this doesn't happen Yeah, again. I think there should be punishment and then extreme therapy. help. Yes. Yeah, help therapy, extreme psychological counseling, you know, anything like that. I think that's – and I – and let's talk about Vincent Lee because this is going to lead directly into what I was going to say next. So do you think – and I found I was – you asked me. You spin it around on me. Yeah. And now I'm asking you before I answer the question. I feel like we always say no, and I want to say no. What are you going to say, Matt? No. Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) I I told you at the beginning of the show, we will will pick cases where it was too harsh. We don't believe. We do believe. Or we think it was over the top. Or Or we we agree. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We think, yeah, this this fool. Like, I think Charles Manson belongs in jail for the rest of his life to rot away. Well, technically, we said he wanted, we should kill him. We should have killed him. Yeah. But what little is left of him. But I mean, we have to think our justice system is an imperfect system. And that's why we have this. Apparently, the Canadian system is imperfect, too, (laughs) we found out. So From a few cases now. Here's what I'm realizing, though. I've, I've found that with this case, this guy was clearly out of his mind. There's no way to justify what yep. he did. Even now, I'm sure he probably can't justify what he did. To say that he was threatened by aliens, I mean, that's like son of Sam David Berkowitz. My dog told me to do it type of shit. Like, that's that's cool, man, but you're guilty. Whatever. Yeah, Thanks you for your excuse. You still killed someone. But I also think, like, and I hate, like we've said, we had a little bit of debate about this before. We can't use the severity of these crimes to justify mental illness being the source of it. So, like, we can't have people out here hacking people to bits and saying, well, he was clearly insane. Mm -hmm. He hacked that guy to bits. Or he stabbed him 80 times. Now, I think that's an indicator, obviously. We have to account for that. I don't think it's necessarily the driving factor, but I think it's an indicator. Yeah, and I've said it before. I mean, I think that, um, but personally, I think anyone who can kill someone not in self-defense and on purpose, because, you know, sometimes there's accidental deaths and things, things happen. that happen. Um, but I do think there has to be, even as big as a grain of salt, a smidge of mental illness somewhere in there that, to kill someone. That lets you... And I'm not... Like I said, I'm not saying all mentally ill people or people suffering from mental illnesses commit these kind of acts. But I am saying to commit this act, I feel like something has to be wrong. Now, that doesn't mean it's it's schizophrenia. That does not mean it's bipolar disorder. It doesn't mean it's depression, anxiety, whatever. It could be so much as being a sociopath. And that's above a, all... That's I, a, I think above all... Psychopath. What I'm thinking of when you say that is it doesn't necessarily mean that there was a predisposition to violence. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Vincent Lee had no pre... He wasn't... Uh, well, that we know of, yeah. He wasn't a soldier, though. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't a, a football player like we hear about now, or he wasn't somebody, like, engaged in combat or that was yeah, even yeah. playing violent video games or watching violent content all the time. Yeah, like, it seemingly just, came out of nowhere. He was just a guy who, yeah, apparently just seemed to lose his mind. But what I, what I don't understand, and maybe we just don't have enough information in his specific case, but what I don't understand, if you're telling people you're hearing the voices of God talk about aliens and you being the martyr in 2004, why aren't you getting help? 
Why isn't someone getting right. you help? Where is all or his, how are you dismissed if someone did get you help? Where is all of his... And if you were getting help, what the fuck happened here? Right. Eight, four years later. Who came up short with this guy? Because clearly if he sought help, there was none given. Because it's not like this was... Or not a, the proper amount. Yeah. It, it's not like this was reported as like a break with reality. Well, obviously it was a break with reality, but not like yeah. a random break with reality where he had no history at all. Like he didn't have any history to violence, but he did have history... Of being in hospitals for having issues with right. with this kind of thing, and my question to that is, did the mental health system fail him? Because if if people saw that, okay, something's not right with Vince Lee, something's not right with him. If he himself was like, I'm hearing the voice of God, I think I'm a martyr, I think I'm the third book of the Bible, or whatever, yeah, whatever he said. I mean, obviously, if you're having a mental break or if you're suffering from these delusions, you might believe it. That's absolutely a fact. So maybe he didn't. We don't know. He might have thought really. Because it just feels like something was missed. Something. Well, obviously, something was missed. But like, it feels like I don't know. And I want to know if Vincent Lee was able to change his name because he petitioned to get it, but I couldn't find anything about him actually changing his name. And if he did, that scares me. And I hate. I hate when people get to change their name when they commit crazy ass crimes because i know a lot of them we're going to cover a lot of them and it makes me sick because regardless of the age gender situation mental health of the person i'm sorry i feel like people should know what you did maybe in some cases you shouldn't have to be consistently punished over and over again but this family and all what at most 48 people on that bus are going to be punished for the rest of their lives you get to walk free clean slate hands clean your name's changed nobody knows who you are you get to live an unassuming life i don't think so so i think we know but eye for an eye no hell no right but it's just one of those conversations where we could talk all night about the mental health system right and how we should be treating and and like you said like that but like that's the same argument that people make like like the fucking like on a dumber scale like on a like a lower scale, not dumber, but a lower scale, people make the argument like, oh, like I'm a law-abiding citizen. Are you going to punish me because I have like other people shoot up people? We can't assume that criminals are going to see cases like this and be like, I need to chop up a body more to make it yeah. seem like I was mentally ill. Uh, we can't think that, but we also can't justify what happened here by saying, well, he was totally off, off his rocker. And- yeah, but that's what I think they did is the problem. I think... There was a justification for it because this man is now free, no no supervision, nothing. And that's what doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand how such a gruesome, horrific crime witnessed by so many people who are going to have everlasting effects. And think of the people on trial. People, Think of the jury. Think of the jury. They probably had to see pictures. The judge. Like, think about all of the people that this affected. And the one person who's the sole reason it all happened is out walking he's out free. He's out walking around now. He's out here. He's and how do neighbor. we know? How do we know? Because he's not being supervised or under any kind of supervision at all. How do we know he's taking medicine? How do we know he's getting the self like care that he needs so he doesn't reoffend? Because we we heard him say himself in 2004 is the first time he heard the voices of God. Eight or four years later, in two thousand eight, is when he committed this crime. How uh, do we know in another four years he's not going to have another later, mental he break? He hasn't heard the voice of Satan. Yeah, like how do we how do we know that that this this is never going to happen again? How is this man trusted to be out among 
us. I think that's not a justice to society. I think, honestly, that's scary. I wouldn't live in the town with this man. I would demand, you know, if you are a sexual predator in the U.S., if you have a sex crime against you, whether it's with a child or a minor or whatever, you're put on a sex offenders list for life. And that means you have to tell people every time you go anywhere, you are on the sex offender list. This limits where you can live, limits what you can do, limits who you can be around, limits what jobs you can have. Vincent Lee has more freedoms than someone who was 18 years old and dated a 15-year-old. Yep, true. And that's a three-year difference, and that could be consensual. Like, I'm not counting rape. Like, that's horrible. But I'm counting, like, the, like we do have a system where in the U.S. you can be charged with statutory rape, and that's literally just saying there was an age difference where the other party in the relationship could not make a consensual agreement to be in that relationship. And there are cases that I have seen, because I watch Dr. Phil a lot, where it's literally like an 18-year-old boy who was charged with statutory rape, and they were just dating their 15-year-old girlfriend, and that was under the legal age limit. Like, that's what I don't understand. There's more, and it's the same thing with the gun debate. There's more limits in place for driving a car than there are buying a gun. There's more limits in place for a sexual offender that didn't actually offend anyone, never touched anyone in his life than Vincent Lee, and that's what I don't get. I truly don't either. And it's a mental illness. It's not like that goes away. That's not something, especially schizophrenia and things of that nature, they don't just go away. It's not something that, like, one day you have a mental break and then the next day and, and, like, two years later you're magically cured. Like, that's not how it works. And that's why I think an eye for an eye wasn't meant. I think it's a scary 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 fucking situation that this man is free i truly free. agree yeah he's out walking around as though he had the same rights like you said as any normal citizen without any repercussions people Nobody who sell marijuana are in get more, more jail yeah, trouble. He, he doesn't even have a parole officer to report there's nobody even keeping tabs on this guy and when he reoffends, or if he reoffends, i shouldn't say when because i should give him more of a benefit of the doubt but if he reoffends. I'm going to come back and say I told you so. And and the, the saddest part to me is where is the justice for Tim McLean's family? Where is it? I wonder as well. Where is the justice for those people on that bus that were witness to the most nightmarish situation you could ever even think of? Only in your wildest nightmares. Where are those? Where is the justice for these people? Is Is one person's mental stability over so many other people's quality of life, value of life, and life itself? I truly don't know. That's what I it mean. Doesn't, I mean. It doesn't. It sounds like they're protecting him it because does. he it has a mental like, illness. Is there justice for him and no one else? Is he getting the benefit of the doubt? Well, the answer to that question is yes. I guess. I guess. He's free. Yeah, I mean. Like right now, if you visit Canada, you could bump into this motherfucker. And I don't know if he changed his name or not. But if he did, you wouldn't even know unless you've seen pictures of him, which I suggest you Google. I don't know. Like, I don't I don't think it's okay to treat someone like a monster for the rest of their life. But if you do monstrous things, you should have monstrous consequences. And he got literally none. He got mental health help for, what, nine years and a couple bits of change? Hardly, because from the get-go, it seemed like they were letting him out on walks by himself. I don't know. I think it's just a really disturbing tale of how the justice system is favoring one scenario over another, not thinking of the victim, not thinking of the victim's family, not thinking of the the people who saw this heinous crime take place, the witnesses, the police officers, the responders. And who are you to say that this man is 
is okay to not be monitored, should not be a mental health facility. If he is truly suffering and he's been suffering, there is absolutely no reason he should not be getting mental health care and help that's consistent. Some people that suffer with mental health issues have to take medicine, have to be in therapy for the rest of their lives. That is not what we are saying here either, that we are not suggesting that people who are in serious need of help get help. But it's also a difference between that and killing someone. And why are we still debating whether or not that should be... I don't know. I don't. Yeah. So I think we agreed on this case. It's all fucking crazy. It's all a bunch of baloney. Ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand how a judge can look at a mother of this child who is defiled in the worst possible way and, you know, eventually set the killer free, regardless of his mental capacity. I just don't, I don't, I don't know. You're an animal. Once an animal, always an animal. I agree. And I'm sorry, I don't care what mental health issue you're suffering from. There's so many people on this earth that have mental illness that don't kill people, chop them up, eat them. And and that's just a fact. Yep. That's just a fucking fact. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of An Eye for Nights, episode 7. Which means, for those who are new, we have six more episodes that you can listen to. We cover some really interesting cases, some really big cases, as we mentioned. Manson's in there, O.J. Simpson's in there, some lesser-known cases. Some cases that are still being debated, like Michelle Carter's trial. Please give a listen to them. They're super interesting. It's really interesting because some of these cases are just fucking mind-blowing, as you can see, by our responses to them. I promise, like I said, sometimes we are going to cover cases that we agree with the sentence. We think it was fair. We think it was just. But systems are built to be broken. (laughs) Or built broken. Built broken. Honestly, Built to be broken because that's a word. Honestly, it's just... It just seems like that's why I created this podcast because I'm just so flustered by a lot of these cases. But I really do appreciate you guys all taking the time out to listen to our episodes, to hang out with us, to comment, to interact with us on our Facebook. I'm constantly posting on our Facebook and so is Matt. I always see like true crime things on my Facebook, so I'll post them on our Facebook to just get some some conversations going. So please Feel free to join in on the conversation. Join us. We love it. Yeah, I like to hear what your guys' thoughts are, feelings, concerns, questions, comments. Please make sure if you like the show, if you want to listen to us more, that you rate us, subscribe, review. Let us know how you're feeling. Tell your friends. Tell your fam if they're true crime buffs. Obviously, we don't want people listening that this would freak out. We're not here to create nightmares. We're here to just discuss them. We're here to create dreams. So if you want to contact us directly, as we say in every show, our email is iforipod at gmail.com. The Facebook is iforipodcast, but you can find it by fb.me slash iforipod. Um, our Instagram, which I haven't been so active on, is iforipod, just like everything else. And I did want to end the show with a few tidbits of information. So we do have links in our description to different helplines. But in this particular case, I wanted to point out two in general, in case you didn't read the notes. So one of those websites that I wanted to point out was the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is um, acronym is NAMI, N-A-M-I. 
and their number is 1-800-950-6264. They're available Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and their helpline can answer a variety of questions about mental health disorders, treatment, support groups, education, and can also refer you to vocational support and legal services if needed. So this is not just for those suffering. These are for those allies, people's friends and family. Anyone who wants to reach out, has questions, needs support, needs resources, that's a place to go. And I also wanted to bring up the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. In case you didn't know the logic, so... Yeah, and if schizophrenia symptoms are causing emotional distress or if you're feeling suicidal for any reason, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline provides crisis intervention and free emotional support via a 24-7 national hotline as well as an option for live chat online. So it's important that this is known that, you know, it, it points out directly on their website if schizophrenia symptoms are causing emotional distress, and I thought that was really important because that's what it was said Vincent Lee was suffering from or still suffers from. And if you're hearing these voices, if if you are struggling, if you're having visual, auditory, any kind of mental break with reality around you or what you perceive as reality or just need to talk and talk things out, this is definitely somewhere I suggest you go. And on top of that, I wanted to leave you the fun fact. And I thought this was a, a morbid fun fact is what I'm going to call it because it's pretty morbid. It's morbid. Um, so I call it a fun, morbid fact. Fun, morbid fact. I need to come up with a cooler name for that. But anyways, um, so the week following the attack on the Greyhound bus, Grey, this is so fucked up, um, Greyhound Canada announced it was pulling nationwide advertisements, which included the slogan, there's a reason you've never heard of bus rage. And now the incident has led to numerous calls and petitions demanding increased security on intercity buses. I don't know anything if that that's actually gotten anything helped. I don't know if that brought any yeah, results out of that. But it's important. I thought that was a kind of disgusting fact that, you know, they pulled this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm fiddling with a bunch of stuff, guys. But, yeah, they yeah. have that. He too. doesn't realize this all gets caught in the microphone and I have to chop it out. I'm sorry. Which but is why it takes me decades to edit these fucking podcasts. That's why we can't release anything. That's why we can't get shit done. Uh, but yeah, I wonder <laughs> if that actually happened or if that just kind of went by the wayside, which I'm assuming. Like I bet you it's option B. It did. All right. Well, thank you guys for re- hanging out with us tonight. If you want to do a case, we have some special guests coming up in the following weeks, which we're super pumped about. So Y'all going to love out. our next one, too. Yeah. And the next one after that, and all of them after that, because this is a great time to be alive. Woo! Which is a weird thing to say on a true kind of podcast. podcast. But, um, we love guys. you guys. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. So, Vince Lee, who's the offender here, the killer here, but he's not a murderer. No, because in order to get a designation of murderer, you have to go to court and be charged with murder and, fa- and convicted of murder. Um, he was not. He was not convicted of anything. He was removed from the justice system and placed into the healthcare system. And we are, as a country, going to do everything in our power to uh, meet every of his needs, to to do what is best for Vince Lee. So let's talk about that because just recently, within the last two weeks, there was some major news that has come out. He's getting out? He is already out. he hasn't had a complete discharge, but he is out in in the community, unsupervised, off grounds. They are moving him from a locked forensic ward at the mental facility that is housing him to an unlocked ward. What guarantee is there? There is no guarantee. 
the word guarantee um, frustrates me and, and irritates me because there is no guarantee. And that's actually from the trial. It's one of the um, words that the psychologist or psychiatrist used as well. They cannot guarantee the future behavior of any individual. That's sort of how they absolve themselves of any responsibility either because we already know Vince Lee's not responsible. The, the court determined that already. So the court determined that Vince Lee is not responsible, but neither is the psychiatric community that allowed him to walk away from treatment that resulted in this. They're not responsible either. Um, and yet my son is no less dead. I, the politicians can banter that around back and forth all they want. They can point the fingers at each other, the federal, the provincial governments. You know, who's, who's responsible for what part? Well, the truth is none of them are held responsible at any point or avenue throughout this, and that, that's wrong. That's, that's disgusting. Yes. Um, well, if you feel that way and other Canadians feel that way, then you can multiply that by about a million and you might get close to what I feel like. I'm so frustrated with trying to raise awareness to the issue. I will tell you right now the system is hell-bent and focused on rehabilitating and reintegrating that individual back into our society. What you need to understand is this man suffers from paranoid schizophrenia. It is incurable and it is a lifelong illness. It is medication dependent. In Canada, we have no legal mechanism that would require him to continue treatment after release with no criminal record. He'll have the freedom to cross borders. And when he does cross borders, any border, provincial or, or into the states, wherever he wants to go, when he does cross a border, his mental health diagnosis will not follow him. So literally, he's gotten away with this. Well, yeah. Timothy was for sure by far my wild child. He was a free spirit. He. Um, was incredibly bright, very intelligent, had read everything in the school library by grade five, bored, unchallenged in school, dropped out of high school, um, wanted to travel with the fair to meet interesting people and see the world, and or see the country anyway, and, and he loved doing that. He was the kind of kid that could uh, throw himself into any group and get along with everybody. He was also the peacemaker, so if there were a couple of people that weren't getting along so well or arguing or whatever, he would uh, smooth things over. People would wait on him. If he, if they wanted to hang out with him and he wasn't ready, they would wait till he was ready. 